0: Welcome and thanks for joining us in the latest of our series of Aviation Leaders podcast interviews from KPMG and Airline Economics. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the head of aviation finance with KPMG, and I'm delighted to have Richard Moody with us, who is the global head of transportation financing with Deutsche Bank. Richard, thanks for joining us today and and maybe just before we get into the questions, you might just tell our listeners a little bit about the role Deutsche Bank plays in aviation finance.
1: Sure. Uh, Thanks, uh, Joe. Sir Joe. delighted to to join you on this podcast today. Um, So, Deutsche Bank uh, is an active participant uh, in the aviation markets. Um, uh, In fact, we have a a much broader sort of transportation finance business covering uh, shipping rail and, and aviation. Uh, but aviation is the, is the largest part of that um and um you know we have a full suite offering across sort of advisory dcm sort of structured finance um uh, eca sort of financing um and historically obviously try and and link um the offering to, to clients across those sort of uh, uh, different businesses um and obviously sort of pre-covid um we would have been um, um, actively involved in in advisory and and, and capital raising. I think obviously sort of post COVID, uh, this sort of situation has been much more sort of defensive uh, in terms of sort of managing risks uh, within our book. Um, But we do remain um, obviously, um, you know, active in the space in a sort of slightly different way. And um, for instance, on our our capital market side, we continue to help sort of uh, airlines and less raise capital. Um, and also help advise um, clients um, um, in this post-COVID environment about their sort of, uh, you know, their business strategy and and and, and their liability uh, side of their balance sheet. So um, yeah, I mean, still an active participant um, in the space, Joe. Um, and obviously, you know, what we do today is obviously slightly different to what we did 12
0: months ago. I think that's that's true for us all, and thanks for that, Richard. And, and in looking at in looking at the macro piece first, uh, and I know when we interviewed you for our leader support kind of late last year, we, we talked about you know a market that was probably more mature, outlook looked steady. I think I was looking back at the interview we had with you, one of the comments you made is, oh, barring a significant exogenous shock, that's how we see things going. Well, we couldn't have had a bigger shock than what we've had from the aviation space. How do you view this crisis compared to other downturns the sector has faced? Well, I
1: think when we first um, became aware of this, um, it, it was deemed to be a regional issue. And I don't think that we understood quite the impact it would have on a global basis. Um, when we started discussing it. So, obviously, one has got to remember that um, uh, we were aware of COVID, but um, uh, you know, e- e- even at, at our Dublin conference, or your Dublin conference in, in January, um, there was talk about it, and, and there was obviously some you know evidence in China, but at that stage, everybody thought it was going to be regional. We, we didn't just realise what the impact would be and how devastating it would, would be until two or three months later. And I think um, even then, there were commentators believing that perhaps, um, you know, there might be a, um, a fast track or, or perhaps a uh, an accelerated um, uh, route to a, a vaccine, and perhaps, you know, the depth of, of what it actually meant and how quickly it was spread perhaps would not be as um, significant as it's turned out to be. I think sitting here in um, – uh, in October, what we have now is looking back is a, a a global event, and a global event that obviously seems to be on the verge of uh, expanding through a second wave, and hence the implications of that sort of being more widespread. And I think it's very hard to predict what is going to be the outcome of this given that the implications for the aviation industry are not driven by the aviation industry itself. And what I mean by that is ultimately, this is an industry about getting people from A to B or getting freight from A to B. And there are government restrictions around, you know, who can fly, where we can fly to, what quarantine issues um, are in place, etc. cetera. And um, those have huge implications on our industry and um and so what's happening um you know on the macro environment um, and the decisions being made um, uh, at that macro environment uh, environment or the governmental environment are obviously having those um you know direct implications you know on aviation so in some ways you know or in many ways the industry is not master of its own destiny it's relying on policies procedures regulation etc driven by um um by by, by by governments and politicians um, and the
0: industry is is you know has to ab- you know has to abide to that. And, and in looking at that, that shock that's happened right and as you say relying on external market pieces, are, are there lessons you could take? It's obviously been uh, over a long period of time a cyclical sector and there, there's tended to be these external large events that have pushed a downturn whether that might have been the financial crash or 9-11. Do you view this as just something totally different to those, and there aren't lessons to see and how recovery will be driven? Um, or, or are there things you can take in saying this is cyclical, uh, and therefore we, we will enter a new cycle? The question is when.
1: I think, Joe, the big difference between this cycle and where we are today versus perhaps the financial crisis and even 9-11 is the sheer scale of, of um, you know the industry today the interconnectivity between OEMs, between, um, uh, between airlines, between the leasing community, between banks, etc. cetera, uh, the scale of that is significantly bigger than it ever has been, uh, number one. And so therefore the interconnectivity between them um, is, is such that um, you know, it, um, the ecosystem, I suppose, between all of these industry participants is deeper than it's ever been before and so um i think what we're seeing is that it's you're not just isolated because you're an oef you're not just isolated because you're a bank what happens in this industry has implications for all industry players and um and ultimately um a, a, again you know what's important here is that you know that we have to drive revenues in this industry and if there are restrictions being put in place in terms of people um getting on planes um, you know, buying tickets, getting on planes, and flying—that has you know widespread repercussions across the industry. So I think the the lessons learned here is that you know we talk about uh, globalization and we talked about uh, um, interconnectivity of uh, you know of the ecosystem. Well, what's happened here is that that interconnectivity has probably made this um, uh, or the implications I would say of what's happened here. Uh, impact a lot, lot more people and a, and, a, and a wider spread of the industry more holistically. And don't forget as well, um, you know, in, in the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years, we've become much more of a consumer-orientated industry. People are more curious. They want to travel more. There's been the, um, you know, the, the 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 invention of things like Airbnb that have encouraged people to to, to go out and explore, um, you know, the, um, um, the development of the web, et cetera. Whilst we've ridden the, the the wave of all of this, uh, I don't think one can can um, can necessarily, you know, I- I ignore the um, the interdependencies of all of the sort of different constituents here. And I suppose so. The biggest the, 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 the biggest difference than anything before Joe
0: is just the sheer scale of that interconnectivity between all of the industry players. Yeah, and, and I think that there are interesting points you make as well. Right, if you look at taking the Airbnb example or yeah, which I think you're right, people get more curious Have liked air travel. We've seen it grow year on year and year. And in addition to those regulatory pieces you discussed, the, the behavioural impact um, of, of what COVID-19 drives, you know, the use of Airbnbs, the willingness to travel, I think that's something that will probably only feed out over a longer period of time. And, and as you talk about um, the holistic impact of this, which is clear, can, can you still stand back? And look at it sectorally as well, or geographically. And, and how would you parse the three largest markets? So if you were to look at the US and Asia and Europe, and um, do you see different impacts and different outlooks going forward? You do need to look at the
1: individual regions. I do need. I do think you need to also look at the uh, in, uh, the impact of, of COVID uh, within the regions. Um, you know what the regulations there are. Um, you know, what's possible and obviously sort of the quarantine rules. Um, So, so um, I mean, definitely when one looks at this, there's a global impact, but obviously the variations of, 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 you know, what's possible in terms of sort of travel, you look at China, for instance, um, China air traffic has come back sort of, um, you know, strongly compared to, um, you know, sort of, you know, other regions. You look in Europe and, you know, the summer that we've had, I think a a lot of um, folks were hoping that there would be some positive news. But obviously, with the impact of, um, you know, um, reinfection rates and and, and the second wave, a lot of borders have been closed down. Um, So I do think, Joe, that it is necessary to look at the regions. um, But one shouldn't forget that we are in a global industry and there's going to be overarching themes that connect all of these regions. And in and, and looking at, obviously, you have um,
0: you know, extreme distress in, in the airline sector, you know, a, a shutting off of cash flows that has necessitated government support, which has been significant and probably predominantly in the form of kind of wage subsidies or loans and guarantees. What are your thoughts on, on how that government support has been given to date to the sector and how do you think that will play out as we end up in you know a longer situation than probably anyone had anticipated six or seven months ago. That's a very interesting question, and actually,
1: um, you know, there's lots of different ways to sort of answer that. So maybe one way to start is to think about the notion of a flag carrier. I think historically, if you look back at uh, at this industry. And you look at sort of certain airlines um, and you always thought to yourself well you know it might be government-owned or, or usually government supported or it might be owned through um, um, like a sovereign wealth fund owned by that government that that particular asset is such is such, of such strategic importance that it would always find a way to um, you know to be supported I think this crisis has shown that that's not necessarily the case anymore um, you know, an example, um, you know, would be um, obviously sort of Air Mauritius, um, you know, that's had to go through sort of the administration. But the importance of, 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 of Air Mauritius to to Mauritius and tourism, I don't think is doubted at all. And yet, I don't, I think probably people thought that that, that um, sort of airline would have been uh, hugely supported. Um, and... Um, and and obviously, you know, as I said, it had to go through. You know, I was, I was going through, um, you know, a, an administration process. Um, so this notion of the flag carrier and governments of, of support, I suppose, it is is something of uh, of a historic view. And um, but 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 similarly, I think that people realise that that airlines and the interrelated uh, jobs that it produces. Um, is such that they have to be sort of supported. Um, and you look at the, um, the significant sort of steps made right at the beginning of the crisis by certain governments who moved quickly. Obviously you had the US with the sort of, you know, the CARES program. Uh, the Singapore government came with a, a multi-billion support program for Singapore Airlines. Um, you know, the, um, uh, the Finnish government came and, and, and helped support Finnair more recently. Um, you know, Iceland there got support. And if you actually look at some of these, uh, these airlines, purely from a credit and a financial perspective, perhaps one can question sort of, um, um, it, um, you know, why, why they would get some support. But I think from a strategic perspective, you know, it's probably understandable. Um, and so, therefore, I think um, um, government support will be hugely linked to the um, – the importance of having uh, an airline in terms of connectivity of that country uh, globally, um, and also the importance of employment and uh, the knock-on effects um, if that airline were to file. Um, So I think all of these sort of, you know, uh, would play into sort of any government consideration. What I have been sort of somewhat surprised about is that it has been, um, you know, European and, 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 and U.S. Sort of governments that have reacted much more quickly and we show and we've seen a lot slower and, and a lot lower rates of support coming out of um, APAC um, yeah, um, uh, more generally. So again, a bit like, um, you know, your question about are there regional differences? Um, in terms of sort of recovery and on what's been happening with COVID, we are sort of seeing that as well as sort of on the government
0: support side as well. Yeah, I, you're, you're, yeah, I agree with you fully, right? And as you see, I think, you would have seen the Lufthansa uh, piece for the kind of 9 billion euro taking the 20% stake. And I think that might become more of a theme if they realise the loans and guarantees probably aren't going to cause us right the longer this goes on. And, and it is, you know, you say probably a flag carrier centric approach that you might see emerge and then it'll be interesting really, to see how it plays out where you know what it'll be airline 2.0 if it can clean house and i think you're right the, the south american approach which has probably gone down the more formal restructuring route of chapter 11s and the challenges that brings both on the financing side and it pr- probably feeds me into my next question richard where you know um we've seen on aviation finance, lessors having challenges dealing with their customers with, with rent deferrals, uh, and now probably more complicated lease restructuring, um, and, and that probably feeds in on, again, you mentioned the start, the broad breadth that Deutsche Bank would have in, in you know, the, the various uh, tentacles you have in aviation finance. What has been your approach so far in working with your clients through the crisis and the issues they're facing? So we have a, um, um,
1: a variation of deals across our book from sort of revolving credit facilities through to sort of LC's through to more sort of traditional sort of aircraft financing, um, sort of, you know, structured product, jolt Coast, etc. Um, and I think the approach with, uh, with all of this is to realize that we're all facing this together. And um, we need to try and be cooperative and collaborative to try to find a sort of a way through this. I think definitely what we have found in right at the beginning of the situation anyway, when we didn't really realize the magnitude of it was that what we believe to be um, borrowers, um, having the ability to, to, to support transactions, that they should continue to do so. And there was a certain element um, I think we felt where, um, because um, those less able to support transactions had asked for deferrals or um, some concessions, that um, that others were, were, were also sort of, you know, taking the same approach. I think where we got to was that there are definitely um, uh, certain borrowers and certain clients who are very, very aligned with... Um, you know, with banks and, and and lenders and lessors in terms of, of, of what they want to see. I mean, at the end of the day, I think when you think about sort of, you know, um, um, airlines that are going to come through this and survive, lessors that are going to come through this and survive, this is an industry that's still going to require, you know, despite the significant sort of cancellations and, and you know, there's been um, significant sort of max cancellations and wide body cancellations, I think um, um, over a thousand um, sort of cancellations. Uh, um, um, to date, um, this is still a, this is still an industry, Joe, that's still going to require significant amounts of capital. And um, you know, ultimately, when borrowers come back to the markets, um, and you know, we get some sort of normality back to this industry, and, and airlines start taking um, um, aircraft again for, from the OEMs, and the lessors need you know leverage for the certain leasebacks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they will come to the financing community. And um, how those borrowers behaved um, during this period, uh, I think, will have a large bearing on how those institutions will think about um, sort of capital and
0: providing capital, um, you know, in the future. And and, and in talking about the future piece, right? Um, I guess one of the challenges is at the moment is relative value. Like, what does an aircraft actually worth? You know, we're probably going to come shortly into a, 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 a season where a source and airlines are kind of grappling with the issue of impairments and what that might mean for them, that obviously feeds into banks and financiers, and it's a challenging piece. In, in, in trying to look forward, right, as you say, the opportunity piece and, and how maybe you, you deal with the firefighting and, and sorting what's in-house, what other challenges or how big a challenge is that in 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 looking at the go forward piece and how you might be able to finance new transactions, and I think we've seen an uptick in people you know circling the space um, at the moment, but but that financing piece is is a big challenge. Which is really interesting. Your thoughts are in that area.
1: Yeah, so I think um, to answer that question, you need to really look at the different participants in this space. So if you look at the traditional sort of um, banks and the financiers of this space, um, you know they've um, some of them have multi-billion dollar books and don't forget that they're managing issues within that book and so the provision of capital um, uh, within the context of trying to you know um, deal with restructurings um, amendments forbearance and don't forget the banks as well you know the regulatory issues um, and we should touch upon this a little bit later on that we talk a little bit about you know liquidity and what's available uh, people you know, pre-COVID, people were talking about the reg- regulatory landscape and, and 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 you know the implications of sort of Basel fall. I think most people have sort of forgotten about that right now as, as they sort of battle through um, you know what's happening in front of them. But um, and, and I'm we we can touch upon that a little bit later on. But um, I think what's happening today is is we need to realise that currently um, for the traditional participants in this market. Um, they are dealing with their own issues, right? Um, and it doesn't matter whether you have 500 million on your balance sheet, um, you know, led uh, to this sector, or 10 billion. Uh, there are some sort of, sort of issues to uh, to work through, and trying to obviously provide new capital in that type of an environment, you know, is challenging for sure. Those with cleaner uh, books, without any legacy issues, and this is perhaps the new capital you were talking about. Obviously, see an opportunity to provide capital at a time when, um, you know, people, uh, airlines are still taking deliveries. less also still, you know, having their order, but notwithstanding they've had to renegotiate, um, um, you know, deliveries um, and, and push back deliveries, etc. So there is still a capital requirement. And don't forget, um, you know, there's a significant sort of refinancing need. Now the capital markets have remained um, open and receptive, and you would have seen the Delta Term Loan B deal done, um, and 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 and, um, and and notes issue on their uh, loyalty program, uh, Air Cap and, and Avalon just recently issued, um, and uh, you know Broca have issued. So you know there are uh, there, there are various examples of airlines, less always globally that have continued to access the sort of the capital markets um and i think a factor of that joe is also due to the extreme and significant monetary and fiscal support provided by governments as a result of um you know of COVID generally um and so uh, when you look at historically where you know some of these um issues have been trading and and where where people are issuing now there, there is some significant value but a lot of that capital market activity Obviously, he looks at it on a relative value basis, and perhaps looking at you know uh, investment in aviation versus sort of other sectors uh, like high yield corporate bonds, um, um, you know, etc. So there is that construct, um, um, you know, in that market. Um, obviously, the ABS markets are closed uh, currently, and, and you know the big question being debated right now is um, you know what, when they reopen and what will it look like when they reopen. And so then that obviously leaves a big sort of gap um, for, I would say, more um, flexible capital that would have traditionally been provided by banks. And I go back to my initial comment, which is, you know, the availability of that, I think, is also depending on, on the institutions involved, what they have in their books, what they're battling through. And so, so we're, we're in this interesting conundrum or situation right now where uh, capital markets sort of seem to be open. There seem to be a number of um, sort of institutional investors and sort of credit funds and hedge funds sort of circling up, waiting for the opportunity to to, 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 to do something. Uh, we do know right at the beginning of the crisis, we had significant conversations, a number of um, 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 you know conversations with with a lot of hedge funds and credit funds, expecting there to be a massive sell-off in the market. Um, obviously, in March and April, that did happen, but. Where, where ABS bonds and capital markets and WTCs traded down to um, still didn't really sort of provide too much relative value. And even then, as we've seen from the trading that's happened sort of since, you know, some of the some of the the, um, the ABS bonds were trading in the A notes were trading down in the 70s. And more recently, we've seen prints back in the 90s. So there's been a, a huge rebound. Uh, That's also reflected with the big rebound, you know, um, um, generally across the markets. Um, So I do think when we talk about capital, Joe, it's really important to think about the constituent parts of that and which markets you're talking about. And I don't think it's as easy uh, or as simple as talking about generally capital flows in this industry without actually talking about the different parts and the different, um, um, you
0: know, participants who provide that capital. Yeah, uh, I think that, that's very interesting, Richard, and, and as you say, you can definitely parse it in those ways, and you say the unsecured market's being open, possibly somewhat reflective of just the, one of the fundamental changes between here and probably financial crash. capital hasn't gone away, uh, and it's trying to find a home, in an environment with, with little to no, um, you know, in, interest rate environment being out there. You went there on, on ABS, and I'm curious in your thoughts on that, right, we've obviously seen a huge amounts probably more than $20 billion issued over the last three years. Um, and you have uh, a big variance when you look at some of the actual ABS structures. So some, some depending on their SE portfolio, are doing okay and, and have to pulled down liquidity facilities. Others have. Um, and the liquidity facilities buy you a long period of time. They're, you know, they're very secure vehicles from that perspective. Just your thoughts on what happens to the current ABSs that are out there in the market and how that plays out, and maybe it's a wait and see. And second, as you, as you said, when that market reopens, if you take the crash that happened in 08, 09, you were probably five years before you saw material issues come again. And I know this is a pure crystal ball gazing and I won't hold you to it, but, but your thoughts on where that market potentially could come back?
1: Um, you're right. I mean, the ABS markets have been prolific over the last sort of uh, two to three years, uh, and in particular was used um, as a market to, to help Lessels uh, um, sort of sell aircraft. Um, and um, if you look back, um, you know there must there, there's been obviously quite a number of, of of transactions done with e-note sales as well. Um, so I think on the forward, what will happen is um, it will be, and this is not only the ABS markets, I believe that this will be safe for the sort of the structured finance markets, you know, debt financing, et cetera. I think there's going to be a back to basics approach. Um, you know, markets pre-COVID were financing, you know, older aircraft, um, aircraft with shorter lease term remaining, um, aircraft with perhaps, um, you know, not as robust, um, uh, return conditions, etc. Um. And I think the ABS markets, when they reopen, will go back to, you know, lower leverage deals, tighter structures, higher pricing inevitably, uh, a collateral pool that will be focused, um, you know, on, on stronger lessees, the survivability of those lessees. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's going to be the same for the, you know, for the bank debt markets as well. So I think there will be a total recut of, um, you know, of that market, number one. I also think that the level of leverage you get through, through you know all the way through, to, through to the C notes, um, uh, will be significantly looked at. And I also think that the E note market, you know, the E the note market that we know it today, um, uh, certainly, you know, um, if it ever comes back, um, you know, it won't be for for, for some time yet. Uh, I think what the market needs to do is come out with a very clean pool, uh, a very clean and and robust structure, a very easy to follow structure, and and regenerate confidence um, with uh, with investors, uh, not only in the structures and and the performance of those structures, uh, but also in the industry as well. I think what you'll find, uh, Joe, as well, is that um, and again, this is not necessarily linked to ABS, but across the board, there is right now um, somewhat of a, a you know, a, a hesitation to investing in aviation and um, not necessarily because aviation is, um, you know, not because structures you know, are, are not robust, because obviously you can have robust structures, but because, you know, aviation, um, you know, alongside sort of other industries like, like hospitality, for instance, um, are tough, uh, you know, a, a tough industry to invest in right now. Um, so I, I don't know when the next ABS will be. Uh, so, for instance, in Deutsche, we've been trying to work through, if you like, ABS 3.0, the next uh, generation of ABS. And, um, you know, it's going to require um, um, input from the rating agencies, from, um, you know, from the lessors. Obviously, from, from the banks, institutional investors, to try to get that sort of structure to work. Uh, it's in no one's interest to try to launch a structure and to have a, you know, a, a, a um, an unsuccessful issue. Um, so I think it's going to be well into 2021 um, before we see, um, you know, anything. And I think what we do see and what will come to market will be um, very clean, um, um, very. Um, Um, uncontentious in terms of sort of, uh, you know, in terms of structure. Um, And, um, you know, we'll have have very good assets um,
0: and and very good leases, um, um, you know, in that pool. And based on your comments there, probably more likely to be in the nature of an internal financing with the equity strip being held by a lessor rather than finding an equity buyer. I think that's almost certainly the case. Yeah. Yeah. Which... Which would logically follow, as you say, when you see the trend line and, and you hope you crack the ice and things and things move on the up again. Um, can ask, we did touch on that piece around the liquidity and the regulatory framework that's out there. And I, I, I'm curious on your thoughts around this because you've obviously seen some innovations where, you know, for example, you're not just mortgaging the house, you're mortgaging the furniture, you're mortgaging any assets you can get your hands on. You, you, your thoughts on the kind of innovations that have been taken uh, in relation to client financing uh, and the collateral that they've used, and obviously you did bring in that regulatory landscape piece. So very interested in your thoughts on, on how that marries together with the with the extreme distress that COVID is, is causing. Yeah, and
1: I think actually there's a one other bit with that as well, um, Joe, and um, you know, and that was on top of, or that was a very sort of topical discussion pre-COVID, which was the sort of the whole ESG angle as well. Thing about COVID is that it's made people focus ultimately on sort of risk and where you are you know and we haven't really touched upon values either right I mean um, this was an industry that people felt was was fairly stable uh, it was pitched to investors and and you know the investment thesis was that um, 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 yes you had depreciating assets but there was some stability around that um, and um, you know, COVID has really sort of thrown that out of the window. Um, But the whole um, issue around uh, sort of innovation and so on and so forth, um, I think in some ways we'll have to innovate to get out of it, but also in some ways there is still people being very reactive um, and actually just trying to address sort of current issues, um, you know, in their portfolios right now. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to see, I mean, just going back to this ESG sort of angle, it's interesting to see that um, somebody like KLM, um, part of, um, you know, the, the, the basis upon which they, um, they, they received their, their 2.4 billion government sort of state aid was um, their ability to obviously adhere to sort of certain sort of uh, ESG principles. So, you know, governments have been quite innovative in a way that they'll say, like, you know, we'll help you out here, but we have an agenda as well. To help you sort of support that agenda, Um, and 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 actually I I think that is sort of you know a a, an interesting way of looking at this, but I think right now um, obviously what what everybody's planning for Joe is is what is the new landscape going to look like? You know, are there going to be is there going to be a fundamental change in the leasing model? Are the way that you know lease contracts um, uh, are written between lessors and airlines will that change? Well, the way that you know the the, the way that banks provide capital, um, the way the capital markets provide capital, you know, to this industry, will that change? And I, I think that the reality is that right now we're still trying to work all of that out. Um, what for sure will happen though is that um, you know um, what comes out of this will be very very different. And um, what surprises me somewhat in some of the conversations I've had is a little bit of perhaps naivety that perhaps things go back to what they were pre-covid and and i don't think they will i I mean they they certainly won't you know in the next sort of 24 to 36 months i think the reality is that you know um i mean capital will will find a home um and it doesn't necessarily have to be in aviation so aviation is back out competing against um, other sectors for that capital. Um, and um, we talked earlier about sort of relative value it has to have relative value Um, and innovation will flow out of that for sure Uh, you know we're looking for instance within DB at a a number of sort of like different structures as to how we can provide cap to the space um, but maybe sort of facilitating um, uh, what I would call um, strategic capital and DB providing strategic capital alongside other investors who perhaps have um, shown interest in in, in, in investing in in, in aviation, but haven't done so in the past. And, um, you know, this is also going to involve sort of, you know, education and re-education and and, and doing things, you know, in a slight, you know, in a a different manner um, on the forward. But I think that I think so, so. Sorry, just on that point, though, I think I do think the one thing that will drive that though is, and this will take some time, is ultimately this is an asset backed financing business, right? Um, you have um, you have a, um, um, an aircraft and it's worth something, and clearly, COVID has shown that you know, um, it's perhaps not worth what the industry thought it was worth, and that's why. know these loyalty program uh deals you know uh, that have been done uh, by the big u.s airlines they are interesting because airlines realize actually that you know they have other assets um, that they can sort of leverage uh and not just necessarily their aircraft so routes slots loyalty programs um you know um you know that 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 has been interesting um but clearly if you're a, um, a smaller airline. Um, you know, you're going to have less less assets available uh,
0: on which to leverage. Yeah, and the ESG stuff um, is interesting. I think you're right. I mean, at the moment, you know, the house is on fire, so it's hard to think about the extension. But but when you put the fire out, you do need to look at the more medium term picture. And, and obviously, there was very interesting announcements coming out from, from Airbus recently. And that issue, I, I fully agree with you, won't go away. It has feeds into. Future financing, green type bonds, I think will be very impactful within the space. Um, can, can I ask you just on where you see, probably in close with this question, but maybe it's two questions, right? The nature of the recovery, right, uh, as to how you think that will feed out into aviation finance, and, and and a link to that, just what structural change you'll see. So, do we end up in a situation where we well, we'll probably clearly have. Fewer new airlines and possibly some new ones. But how you see it playing out from maybe the aircraft lessor side as well, whether that's consolidation or distress or, or what will drive change. So, if we were sitting having this conversation in, in 12 months' time, what's your expectation as to how the recovery has gone and, and what structural change has happened within the market? So, I think you have to answer that question
1: by looking at the different components. I think you need to look at the um, provision of capital side. I think you need to look at it on the supply side um, and you obviously need to look at it on the, um, you know, sort of on the asset side. So maybe we sort of start by looking at, um, you know, dem- you know the demand um, Generally, for our industry, so the first thing that needs to happen, Joe, is people need to fly again. People need to get back on planes, and you know the key driver for that, um, and, and and you know the catalyst for that is what do governments do? We can't have a situation where we don't know day to day whether you can fly to Portugal, and, and if you come back, uh, you go into two days. You know, sorry, you go into two weeks quarantine. Or, or and then the next day, uh, you know, a, a government announcement comes back says, you know, you can fly to country X, but you can't fly to country Y, and then you've got to do this. So I think the first thing governments need to sort of, you know, do is provide a very clear guidance as to what is possible and what's not possible. Because right now, um, you know, it's confusing. It, it's confusing for everybody. Um, you know, that's the, you know, um, that's the first thing. The second thing is you can't you can't underestimate you know, confident people want to feel. You know that flying for most people um, is an experience. You know, we're in an industry where we fly as part of our job, and obviously, we're doing a lot less of that. And we'll talk talk on that uh, about that as well. But but we need to be. You know, most people it's an experience, and they need to enjoy the experience. If they if they have to turn up at the airport and they don't know. Um, you know if they're going to be get you know if, you know if they're going to get on the plane or not because they have to get you know COVID tested before they get on and and, and they're a little bit unsure as to what happens. Um, they don't know how many people are going to be on that flight. There might be some nervousness around um, you know social distancing issues, etc. Um, and I think the the confidence factor I think only really gets addressed through a vaccine um and um you know there's clearly sort of uh, some accelerated work being done you know to get that done but truly i think um you know air travel um uh, will react much more positively you know when that happens um and then um and then and then thirdly you know what is the impact of all of that in terms of actually flying you know um with um with, with, with airlines taking out sort of substantial number of um, of of, of, um, of aircraft out of, out of service, with the um, you know with with a significant number of um, you know sort of um, you know job restructurings etc. It's no doubt that sort of airlines themselves will be smaller. Will they be efficient? Will it actually be more expensive to run an airline? If it's more expensive to run an airline, does that mean the ticket prices go up? So everything's sort of interconnected. So there's obviously like. You know, getting people back on planes and, and the confidence uh, around that. Then the other thing is, obviously, you know, the financial markets have to feel confident that they are backing and supporting an industry, including the lessors, where uh, they can make a return on their investment. Um, you know, we haven't really talked too much about provisioning um, and, um, and, um, and, and impairments, uh, Joe, um, but, you know, the, the, the industry will, will face a significant, significant amount of that over this year and, and, and the coming years. Um, and, you know, for, for this industry to be supported, uh, capital providers need to feel that they can make a return and, and, um, and um, you know, not face, you know, the sort of the issues that, that they're facing now. And then the third thing is, you know, there needs to be a sort of a return to sort of stability of aircraft values so people feel as though if they are financing assets, that these assets are actually worth something and something can be done about it. So, you know, it goes back to almost your first question. Everything is interconnected. So, um, you know, do the OEM basically permanently cut back production? Because actually we know that there's too much supply, you know, uh, right now. Uh, arguably, we, you could uh, you could say that you know the industry was oversupplied or has been oversupplied for a number of years. Uh, it definitely is today, but there needs to be discipline on the OEM side as well to make sure that you know that that equilibrium um, does allow it to sort of you know come back. Um, so so. You know to answer your question more generally about about the broader picture i think one needs to look across the whole spectrum and one can't just boil it down into leasing you know or airlines or, or banks um, and even on the back side um you know there's going to be change support in um in um, in regulatory capital um i think my my view here is that i think there'll be a number of exits from this business um, and I think that the players that are left are going to be much more targeted and specific and strategic in how they deploy capital. So, um, you know, certain borrowers will be the beneficiary of that. And other borrowers who in the past could have received capital um, will either receive um, um, no capital or, um, or, um,
0: or, 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 or less capital. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. I mean, clearly, the first thing is medical solution, and then what that drives um, within the broader market, Um, and and the hope being that you know you've had a aviation finance market that has matured uh, and uh, and opened up significantly over the last years. That you can you can hold on to those advancements that are made and then see how that feeds out. Um, Richard, I'd like to thank you for your time. I really enjoyed the discussion, lots of insights there, and I wish you and Deutsche all the best over the coming months. Thank you very much, Joe.